Hoopball Podcast listeners. Are you a fantasy expert and want to write or podcast for Hoopball? Do you have aspirations of covering a team? Are you a master of sales and want to earn some cash on the phones? Well, we've got good news. Hoopball's recruiting. If you think you have what it takes, hit us up at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or by emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Again, that's at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. The following is a Hoopball presentation. Raptors are down two games to zero, and in a series that featured two players who went off for 50 points multiple times in a game seven, one finished 22, the other finished with 17. And the team with the 17 point score won the ball game. Yo, 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 welcome to another edition, a playoff edition, as always, of NBA Today. I am your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Make sure to check out the fine folks at HoopBall at HoopBall on Twitter, at HoopBallTweets on Twitter to be exact, and www.hoop-ball.com for all of your fantasy needs, basketball insight, great takes, team podcasts, great shows, tremendous content. I can go on and on, but really, you just want to hear about the games, right? You just want to hear about the recaps and everything going on, right? So let's not wait another moment. We got to start with the Jazz and the Nuggets because that was the game that we've all been waiting for. Game 7. Guy's been going crazy. The Nuggets had a chance to become the 12th team in NBA history to overcome a 3-1 deficit to win a series. The Jazz was trying to hold on as they had one player in Donovan Mitchell who joined Jamal Murray of the Nuggets to become the first pair of players to have two 50-point games in the same series. But in this game, it really all went down to the men in the middle. And I talked about this. I mentioned this yesterday. I said it would come down to Nikola Jokic and Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert... Had a huge second half with the Jazz. He finished with 19 points, 18 rebounds. Nikola Jokic, 30 points. 30 points in a game that the Nuggets won, I might add, 80 to 78. That's like the equivalent of scoring 50 to 60 points. It really is. Jokic had 30 points and 14 rebounds. And with that win, Denver indeed was the 12th team to overcome that 3-1 deficit to force a game seven and win. Remember, Denver took the opener in overtime. The Jazz won three straight. They were poised to put the series away back in Game 5 when they led by 15 the second half. But Murray rallied them and finished with 42 that game. He had 50 in Game 4 and a loss, came back with 50 in Game 6. That all added up to a three-game total of 142 that had only been topped in the playoffs twice. By two good guys, I might add, Jerry West and Michael Jordan. With that win, Denver improved to 3-3 in Game 7s. Sadly, Utah just couldn't hold on. Mitchell scored 14 consecutive Utah points before half and they only scored 15 points in the second quarter after being held to 20 in game six so the second quarter was rough uh donovan mitchell sprayed back it created such a frantic final minutes of this game and i mean frantic i mean frantic i just gotta run through these numbers though because Eurigo bear was huge mitchell like i said 22 points on 22 shots not super great mike conley had a horrible game two of 13 from the field one of six from three seven assists and his last second heave just rimmed out and preserved the Nuggets' victory, and that was so sad for them. Jordan Clarkson, 10 points on 9 shots, not super great. It was an ugly game, y'all. It was an ugly game. 
Joe Ingles, 3 of 10. Royce O'Neal, 2 of 6. It, it was not pretty for the Jazz, but neither was it for the Nuggets. Nicole Jokic was easily the most efficient. 12 of 23 from the field, 2 of 5 from 3. I already mentioned the 14 big rebounds and 4 assists as well. Jamal Murray, 17 points on 21 shots. Not great. Uh, Jeremy Grant, 3 points in 35 minutes on 1 of 5 shooting. Monte Moore, 7 points on 3 of 8 shooting. Gary Harris, who played tremendous defense. I think really we should point that out because his defense down the stretch was a huge factor in the Nuggets winning. But aside from that, I mean, he didn't really bring much else. 26 minutes, 4 points on 1 of 9 shooting. Not super great for him. It really came down to, like I mentioned before, the battle of the ancillary players, the big men. Nikola Jokic, he made the big bucket. It was the tie-breaking basket with 20 seconds, 7 seconds left. 27 seconds left, he made that shot. He made the game winner, essentially, at that point. But between him and Gobert, back and forth, Gobert was attacking the paint, really becoming a force down there around the rim, much more aggressive offensively, especially with Donald Mitchell struggling to find a shot. You know, and then Nikola was doing what Nikola has been doing recently. He's had a couple of games where some of it just zone and effectiveness, other parts of it more of a backseat to Jamal Murray. But here we go. This was a good old-fashioned Game 7 struggle. This was very much like... Hmm, I'm trying to think of a game seven that was tight, that had offensive players, high caliber offensive players, but was an ugly back and forth. You know what? Game seven, 2010 NBA Finals, Los Angeles Lakers, Boston Celtics. I'm pretty sure the Lakers won 83. They definitely won, but I'm pretty sure I'm remembering this off the top of my head. 83 to 79. That was the final score of that game. And yeah, it was a tight, rough game. And they were just like, you know, you had big stars like Kobe Bryant, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Paul Gasol. And it was another guy, uh, in this case it was um, Ron Artest, Metal World Peace now, who made kind of the, the, the back-breaking three to really put the Lakers up and ahead for good. But I digress, reliving Lakers glory. The Lakers are waiting for their opponent, which we'll find out tomorrow or today between the Rockets and the Thunder. But let's just look back on Utah. Obviously, loss of Bojan Bogdanovic was huge. You lost another cable ball handler. You lost another very good shooter. Another guy who created his own offense. Put a lot of pressure on Donovan Mitchell. And to his credit, Donovan Mitchell delivered. Joe Ingles had an uneven performance this entire first round. Mike Conley had his games. Game 7, this one was not his finest hour. But he had had some games where he played really well. And he was a big reason. Not as big as Donovan Mitchell, of course. But a big reason why Utah was up such a commanding 3-1 lead over the Nuggets. But in the end... Jamal Murray put the team on his back, displayed leadership that we have not seen from this max player in, well, ever. And Nicole Jokic was great support. You had a back-and-forth battle. Defense was nothing until Game 7 with all the marbles. Then you got the good old-fashioned grind-out game that we've honestly all been waiting for. <laughs> but nobody expected. We just, we thought it would happen because such is the ebbs and flows of a series. But to, if anyone expected a good old defensive battle between two teams that have shown nothing of the sort over the first six games, you know, they're lying to you straight up. But... What a game it was. Such a shame that one team has to leave. That team, of course, being the Jazz, who really can just hope to get some help. Hope that Mike Conley has now fully acclimated himself to the way that the Jazz play. Donovan Mitchell has already shown another gear that we hadn't seen before. Is this a product of just Denver's poorest defense, or is this another sign of his development? We'll have to wait and see, but there's some signs for Utah. Jordan Clarkson was a great boon off the bench. We'll have to see what's up with him. You know, see if the Jazz make any moves. Is Rudy Gobert traded? Do the Jazz try to upgrade? Do they stand pat and say, we have the core right now to continue on? Gobert's going to reach free agency next season. Donovan Mitchell's up for an extension very soon. You know, it was questions for that. So we'll have to wait and see how that goes. But Utah should hold their head up high. They they had a rough injury that hit them pretty bad. They still fought. 
losing three games to one, having been up that, up that high, that's going to hurt. That really is. There, there's no reason for it not to. So that that's not great. But the fact that they were able to continue to fight through regardless, listen, props up to them. They made it a tough series. They lost because of a supernova Jamal Murray performance up to this point, not this game seven. They lost up to this point, and then in the end, other guys stepped up, and the, and the Jazz just ran out of offense. So that's my brief eulogy for them. We'll go into them more in the offseason when we get to them. But for now, Denver Nuggets will move on, and they will play the Los Angeles Clippers. That will be an interesting one. I'm trying to see if I can get my man Will back on to break down that series. Maybe I'll reach out Brandon Marcus. Whether or not I get Brandon on the show, look at uh, Brandon Marcus, Brandon Marcus, and the Hoopball Clippers podcast because they'll have the full breakdown and everything there. That should be interesting. I, I think that the Nuggets road ends there for certain, but and, and relatively quickly. But you know that'll be an interesting matchup to break down. We'll talk about it here on NBA Today, of course, but definitely make sure to check out the Hoopball Clippers podcast. We'll be right back, y'all. But first, I have to share something very important with you. I say it all the time. You're going to know about it all the time because guess what? I'm going to give y'all a second to guess what I was about to say next. But I was about to say sports are back because you already know because we're talking about the playoffs, right? Because sports are back. And with sports being back, what else is back? I say it every show. My bookie is back, baby. My bookie is back. It's a home run. It's a slam dunk. It's a triple overtime game-winning shot all wrapped into one. And that shot was made by a Laker. That's how beautiful that is. That's how much of a masterpiece that is. I love it. You love it. That should be all you need to hear in order to start betting today. My book is up to the odds on all your favorite teams. Got the playoffs right now. Got baseball going on. WNBA. Football coming up. There's never been a better time to start playing. With my bookie, it is so easy. You bet. You win. They pay. Think about baseball for a second. Feeling good about your MLB team's chances this year? Be sure to check out my bookie's World Series future bets. Nothing shows you leaving your squad like betting on them before the season's even begun, and I can personally attest to that from a basketball experience as a Lakers fan from the years 2014 to 2018. Hitch my whole wagon on Wesley Johnson, Ryan Kelly, Robert Sacre, Carlos Boozer, Jeremy Lin, hopes of Greg Monroe in free agency, hopes of De- um, um, DeMar DeRozan in free agency. As a Lakers fan, I had deluded myself because I ride or die with my team. And if you are that type of person, my bookie is that type of spot for you. It just is. But listen, why stop basketball? Why stop baseball? My smart bettors are always looking forward toward the future. In this case, that does mean hockey. That does mean football. That does mean online. My bookie is accepting bets on all that. There's never been a better time to start exploring the world of online sports betting. There just hasn't. Check it out. Like, we're all home, doing nothing, watching games, driving ourselves crazy, with tense finishes as we sit and watch the Orlando Bubble Basketball Magic. So why not? Just bet. And, and here, I'll help you out here. Join today. My book will match your deposit 100%. 100%. Plus, they will toss you a free $10 MLB future wager. All you got to do is enter the promo code HoopBall. H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L when signing up. HoopBall. Boom. HoopBall. 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 <laughs> when signing up. Remember, at my bookie, the terms are very, very simple. You bet. You win. They pay. Real quick, while I'm here, I gotta tell you, support for Hoopball is also brought to you by Manscaped, best in men's below the belt grooming. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. I have a story about shaving down under and not having the greatest experience, but I'm gonna save that because NBA Today is a family-friendly, fun show that is full of optimism and encouragement, and the story that I have to share is none of that. It's very depressing, very sad, very painful. But guess what? If you use the Manscaped redesigned electric trimmer, you will not have the problems that I had to endure. I endured that so I could share with you why the new Lawnmower 3.0 
that was developed by the manscaping engineering team over 18 months is the greatest hair trimmer ever created. This is why I'm here. This is my job, not only to share the amazing basketball action that exists every day, but also to tell you about the Lawn Mower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents like my own, thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin sec technology. Skin safe, blur, I blurped my words there. When I tell you this is premium, y'all, I mean this is pre-me-yum. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. And trust me, you'll want it, all right? The water-resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower, so you can take that thing anywhere. And one of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas down under for a closer and more precise trimming. You want to see what you're working with, right? Exactly. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand because guess what? With that charging stand, you can show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. Boom. That's amazing. That is just amazing. I need to get my hands on the lawnmower 3.0, but I'm gonna help you first because that's the kind of guy I am. Here you are. If you're listening to me speak right now, what you are, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off plus the free shipping. That free shipping is so important in this day and age. Let me tell you, everyone is buying stuff online. That free shipping is amazing. With the code HOOPBALL20, HOOPBALL20, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0, all together at manscaped.com. Remember, get 20% off and that oh-so-good free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And please, y'all, do not forget to use the code HOOPBALL20, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-20, all right? Awesome. The Raptors, they're down 2-0 to the Boston Celtics. They were not able to crack the Boston code yet. Marcus Smart, he got hot. 19 points in the game, but he had 16 points in the fourth, including five three-pointers. Jason Tatum also went off 34 points, eight rebounds. He he struck the err of Coach Nurse, who basically is going to get himself a hefty fine for basically saying that the refs were able to help Jason Tatum out and get him to the free throw line, which, to be fair, he did get to the free throw line quite a bit. The dude was 14 of 14 from the line. 8 of 17 overall, 4 of 7 from 3, 8 rebounds, 6 assists. In all, you just couldn't stop Tatum. But apparently to Nick Nurse, getting to the free throw line as much time as he did. And there were a few that I was like, eh, those are questionable calls. They were big. Marcus Smart, though, he was the guy. He changed the whole game with a three-minute stretch with those 16 points. All right? The reigning NBA champs, Toronto, they are in some real real trouble smart made five threes in the span of three minutes and four seconds turning the last of those threes into a four-point play as the celtics took what was a 12-point deficit and turned that baby right around Kemba walker took over from there scored 11 of boston's last 16 the last of them a step back jumper magic shot in the final minute and the celtics continued not only do they lead the series two over the over toronto but they are 3-0 against the raptors in the nba's restart bubble and they're five and one against them this season so they just had the raptors number for the Raptors, OG Anobi had 20, Fred Van Vliet had 19 points, and he missed a 28-footer just as time expired. Serge Ibaka and Pascal Siakam scored 17 points apiece, and Kyle Lowry added 16 for himself. As Lowry said later, the shots are there, we just have to make them. All we've got to do is get one game, which they're right, because they had the Celtics under control. This is late in the third quarter, they had a 12-point lead. They did. Um, And, and ultimately, they had one kind of dubious call called on them. Uh, an overturn call correctly went Toronto's way, a layup by Fleet. Van Vliet followed by a free throw from Siakam. They had reversed a call that he said he had fouled, fouled smart, so that gave Toronto an advantage. This this dubious call that basically could have sold the momentum to Toronto because 
it was an inaccurate call. Instead, fired up Boston enough to come over and take the lead and just take the game from Toronto. The Raptors score only nine points in the last 10 minutes. They missed 23 of their last 28 shots. Then, just when it seemed like everything was totally awry for them, they scored five straight to make it a 95-92 point game, and they got within one point on a pair of Lowry free throws with a minute left. But after that, that was it. They didn't score again. And just like they were last year against Milwaukee, the Raptors in an 0-2 hole. So, we'll have to see what happens. We'll have to see what happens. Now, to be fair, if we're going to say Raptors were down 0-2 against Milwaukee last year, I do seem to remember them winning the whole thing, right? They did win that NBA Finals against uh, Golden State, right? So, that means they did have to come back and beat Milwaukee, right? Yep. Yeah, I don't think I'm going crazy yet. So that seems like something they, that, that, that they haven't experienced before. This team is a veteran team. They have to bounce back. They have to hit their shots. And that is what they need to do if they're trying to come and take the win. Because I can tell you right now, you can say you had all the shots in the world. But when you go 6-16 for Pascal Siakam, 1-4 from 3, that's not going to do it. When you're 8-22 for Fred, Fred Van Vliet, 3-12 of 12 from 3, that's not going to do it. When you're 5-16 of 16 for Kyle Lowry, 0-7 from 3, that's not going to do it. Four points off the bench from Norman Powell, who's had a career year. That is not going to do it. Serge Ibaka had 15 in game one, 17 game two. That's solid, but he's not your go-to guy. OG Anobi, 20 big points. Great. Also not your go-to guy. You got to look at guys like Siakam, like Van Vliet, like Lowry. I am especially looking at Siakam because he's had himself a little bit of a mess. Not being able to reliably get offense for himself having problems with foul trouble at certain points. He didn't have that issue in game two, but game one was a big one for him. Being effectively stifled in a series where, and we said this a lot about Toronto heading up into the year, where is their go-to guy? Kyle Lowry's great. The 34-year-old still got a lot in the tank, but he's just not that guy. He can go off for big games, but he's not that player. We've seen this in the past with him and DeMar DeRozan. We saw what happened with the success of their play when he became a second great banana to Kawhi Leonard. And now, you know, you're kind of doing it by committee. But what happens when all the wheels are off? What happens when everybody's cold? Then you have an 0-2 hole. It's going to be very, very big for Toronto to come back and make this a series. And I think they will. They're definitely going to get one of these games. I don't see this team getting swept. Then again, I didn't see Marcus Smart going 6-11 from 3. But that's it. Boston kept that same short rotation. They went six deep. Uh, really seven, if you want to count the the 18 minutes that Grant Williams played with his two points and four rebounds. And you, you could even give spot minutes to Semi Ojale, who played 10 minutes and did absolutely nothing statistically except pick up a steal. But that's really it. Their strength is from their big three. Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown. Marcus, not Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown. My mistake. Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. But Marcus Smart stepped up in place of Jalen Brown because Brown played okay, 16 points, 8 rebounds, 2 assists, but he was still just as off as he was in game 1. He has not been the, the most efficient playing against Boston, but Jason Tatum found his form late in game 1. He had in game 2. Kemba Walker played well, didn't really shoot the best from 3 or really that well overall, but he did just enough, 17 big points, and Marcus Smart played the way that he did. So Toronto has to find a way to at least mitigate one of those guys. You've more or less neutralized Jalen Brown. That's good. Now you got to take out Kemba Walker or focus all your energy on Jason Tatum. Because Boston's good. Those top guys, they're really good, but they're still pretty thin. They still are. You're not really getting any offensive creation off the bench. You're not. You're playing your big guys heavy minutes. Marcus Smart, 38. Kemba Walker, 38. Jalen Brown, 35. 42 big ones for Jason Tatum. Off the bench, Robert Williams, the center, 17 points. He's not really bringing that. Brad Watermaker, 8 minutes. No, I'm sorry, 17 minutes for Mark, for Robert Williams, not 17 points. Eight minutes for Brad Wanamaker, 18 minutes for Grant Williams. You're not bringing 
any reliable shot making off the bench. Those guys aren't bringing it for you. Samuel is not doing that. That's not where you're getting it. So you're really getting all of your offense production from those guys. In Toronto, they need to come with a scheme or something to mitigate some of the offensive beatings that they're taking from Boston right now from that starting five. I find it funny that Ennis Cantor isn't getting a minute playing time. This is not his matchup at all. And credit to uh, to the Boston Celtics for understanding that, hey, man, yeah, you're, you're not getting any run on this one. Anyways, we have another critical game seven today. Yep, that's right. Houston Rockets. Oklahoma City Thunder. Game seven. What is Russell Westbrook going to do? He's on a minutes restriction. But will he come with that same intensity and energy to hopefully bring the Rockets out of this first round here? Or will he play like he did in game six, where he basically coughed up the game? Some of that was James Harden's aggressiveness. I know that. Um, trust me, I'm not I'm not trying to say that it wasn't. That people seem to bury the lead there. Yeah, Russell Westbrook airballed a shot and made two bad turnovers, one of which was kind of a foul by Chris Paul in the steal. Just saying. They should have called that, but they didn't. But whatever. But some of that, James Harden. You're that good a scoring monster, right? You're the guy who goes and gets buckets like that, right? Call for the ball, man. Demand the ball. Take over. He had too many times where I get it. He's probably going up for air, you know, taking a breath, whatever the case may be. But he's just kind of trying up alongside Westbrook and not doing anything. That's not going to do it. That just isn't going to do it. That would be a big game. That's on ESPN at 9 o'clock Eastern. Just before that, Miami versus Milwaukee. Let's see if Milwaukee can bounce back. Let's see if Giannis will take the defensive challenge and maybe put a body on Jimmy Butler instead of hiding behind his coach. Because guess what? You're the defensive player of the year. I, I mentioned this yesterday. I had to say it one more time. But I do want to see what adjustments the Bucks make. They did a great job of taking Duncan Robinson out of the game. Will they make a similar strategy to take out Jimmy Butler or to force him to use his outside shot more? What are they going to do? Offensively, how are they going to get Giannis more involved in the fourth quarter? And can Chris Middleton continue the strong play he had in game one and sustain that deeper into the game? Because come the fourth quarter, all the Bucks were misfiring. It was just, they just looked defeated. They just looked shocked and they looked cold. So they need to rectify that need very quickly. But aside from that, y'all, not a whole lot going on. NBA fans, we're here on Twitter. We're doing the hot takes. I'm, I'm planning on doing a mailbag segment soon. So I'm going to reach out and see if anyone's interested in asking questions. Maybe we get some good ones. I might even have you on the show, you know, kind of go back and forth, talk about some things. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but until then, man, this was a nice little teaser two games of NBA action I'm kind of missing the five games I'm kind of missing that the back to back to back to back stuff you know what I mean now we're just getting double headers and soon single games and then you know let's not go depressing basketball is great so <laughs> we're gonna keep it moving y'all but until then I say stay frosty salute respect take care and I will talk to y'all tomorrow This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.